Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Dina Cooper is a parent coach of 12 years and a wife and a mum of two teens. She believes in the limitless potential of us all to heal and be the parent we want to be. She's especially passionate about children growing up with the mindset, courage and resilience to live their potential through helping parents develop their leadership skills. She is the author of Smart Parenting, How to Develop Your Child's Mindset, Courage and Resilience for the Future of Work and the founder of the eight-module Parent as Leader Method. Today we're chatting about this notion of childhood resilience and I warmly welcome you to the show. Thanks, Amber. So great to be here with you. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automated post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. It's quite funny asking this question in the context of, of the topic today, but what did childhood Dina want to be when, when you were a lot younger and did you kind of get there or what was your early career story? Yeah, that's a really good question. My my dad was a business owner and he would have regular meetings with his accountant and I wanted to please him and feel connected to him. So that kind of planted the seed for me to become an accountant. And so that's what I did. I went for work experience with his accountant for four weeks when I was 15. And then I went on to do an accounting degree and became a chartered accountant. Oh, my goodness. That is not the answer I was actually expecting. So there you go. And so then from there, what did you end up? How did you end up sort of, I guess, in the the short form version of end up where you are now in terms of the work you're doing? Yeah. So as a chartered accountant, I went into retail fashion and retail banking where I was leading a small team in Australia. And then I was working really long hours, you know, sitting in an office with the strobe lights, you know, the, the, the artificial lighting. And, you know, it was... One day I was sitting there in my office, everyone else had gone home, it was like 11 o'clock at night and I was thinking to myself, is this it? Is this is this my life? And at that point I was really recognised, or I didn't recognise at the time, but I was really burnt out, I was really depleted 
and uh, they were really good. The bank I was working for were really good. They hired a, I knew I wanted to change careers. They hired a career coach for me who came in ex- from external. And she said, we went through the whole program and she said, you're an amazing coach. Do you want to come and work with me? <laughs> oh, my like, goodness. They, that's a sliding doors moment, isn't it? Like it if you is. hadn't done that, you wouldn't have done where you are, well, and ended up really where you are now in some ways. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, that's incredible. I love that. So thank you for sharing that. So this term resilience seems to be something that to me has been highlighted in the past few years and something that we use in everyday conversations, particularly around our children, childhood, parenting skills, all those sorts of things. What's your view on why we sort of focus in or sort of laser focus on this word resilience? Mm, yeah, it's... Um, to be completely honest, as you say, the last few years it's become, you know, a real buzzword. We talk about it a lot. But when I was growing up, there was, you know, we didn't we didn't talk about resilience. It was more about an environment of knuckle down and get on with things. And there was no reflection for how we were doing those things, nor an acknowledgement of how resilient we were. We just got on with things. And today what I talk about a lot is that I would describe that as physical resilience, um, being able to bounce back from something, but not necessarily mental and emotional resilience, which is really the basis of where we're seeing things going today. So if I explain that term, would that be useful? That'd be great. Just unpack that a little bit, just because I think it does get used, but just because you use it a lot doesn't mean we understand it. Does that make sense? It becomes almost a buzzword in some ways. Exactly. And and I'm all for breaking down buzzwords because it's not the way that I operate. I'd rather know the core practical things I need to do (laughs) than just just the generalization of a word. So let's say that a child falls over and they've grazed their knee and they start crying. The physical resilience would be their ability to get back up and continue playing and then you know their thinking around that is I can bounce back and then when we show compassion to them crying we set up that emotional resilience and they're now starting to think okay for for me it's okay for me to feel pain or it's okay for me to feel hurt and then when we hold them whilst they're processing you know whilst whilst they're you know still crying about their knee where, you know, they're thinking, I'm not alone in my pain. And so fast forward that, you know, combination of physical, mental and emotional resilience to an adult going through a stage of depression, which hits us all at some point. Now that adult's thinking, I can bounce back from this. It's okay for me to feel depressed right now. I'm not alone in my pain. And, you know, that really helps them to move forward, hey. Yeah, that's great. I like that. And I think that, you know, most of us as parents, that's what we want to be able to put in place so that we feel like we're we're not just sort of, I guess, addressing the here and now, but I guess if you like future-proofing, you know, our kids' emotions and abilities to, to deal with life because it's not always going to be easy or simple or go our way. Mm-hmm. Are there some fail-proof ways that you think we can build resilience early in a child's life? Because my experience is my children are 11 and 15 now and it wasn't really until they were a little bit, you know, in sort of mid to late primary school that I started paying attention to this. I think when they're really young, 
Mm. You know, you want to make everything better, you know, the idea. And I'm certainly not a helicopter parent if that's one of the terms which, you know, people would relate to. But I, I'm, I'm also not really free range. I think, you know, the way your peers and the other parents in your, in your generation parent, you two tend to mimic that a lot when you're finding your feet as a parent. And sometimes it's like, yeah, let's let them never feel this kind of discomfort. So mm. we just, you know, pacify them with something, you know, whether it be food or an activity or a toy. And, and sometimes as you keep going and doing that, you think, well, what messages am I really sending? But, you know, do you have some ideas how we can kind of build this resilience in an age-appropriate way, not to be withholding of anything that, you know, a child needs, but certainly allowing them to understand this muscle of resilience? Yeah, so... Uh, you're right. Like we do have that, you know, we, we want to take away pain for our children. And, you know, a lot of us through our own experiences have experienced, you know, difficult situations, pain, and we learn and grow from them. And we really want to be able to embed that, you know, ability to learn and grow in our kids, right? So there's this, one of the things that I am really an advocate of is when you're giving your child feedback, for example, whether it's positive or negative, that you separate it from their identity. So, for example, you know, if you're saying that was a beautiful dance instead of you are a beautiful dancer, or that was a mean thing to say to your brother instead of you are so mean to your brother. And it sounds like a really small thing, but what it does is it allows the child to learn and grow from their experience rather than it being fixed to their identity that they're beautiful or that they're that they're mean because you know when they for example with the beautiful one, if they fix their identity to beautiful and then one day they don't feel beautiful. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, well, I'm stuck here, you know, my, I'm in an identity crisis because aren't I meant to be beautiful? And then start mm. all these different behaviours to try and fix that when there's nothing to be fixed. It's just the way that we've coded our identity with all these attachments to it. Yeah, that's really that's a really powerful way to describe it, I think, and, and maybe a, a different, you know, lens to come to come to it from rather than just thinking of it as something you know I guess that you just do when you really really have to like I think that I think that about resilience it's like a bit like being really fit to me it's like you, you don't just suddenly run the marathon there's little steps along the way and there's ways in which you know that becomes how you respond mm-hmm. to something as well and and do you think there's any reasons why you know, because it is such a focus at the moment for for many parents in building resilience and even schools talk about it in their programs and, and in the newsletters that I get from my children's school, for example. Why do you think we haven't been so great at maybe doing it in, in the past or in the in you know in the in the recent times in some ways? Yeah, look, we we live in a comparison culture. You know, whether it's grades, whether it's, you know, what what subjects we're doing or, you know, what we've got this set path of what success looks like. You know, we, we're born, we learn to walk, we learn the alphabet, we go to school, we go to college, uni, get a job. And, you know, we continue in that job and then, you know, we, we get to a certain age and then we go, hmm, you know, what's what's our life all about? And we start to question our meaning. meaning and we either at that point set off on this journey of self-discovery or we settle for a life with little meaning for ourselves. And I know it's not that black and white, but... You know, we're really in that cookie cutter society and mm. we fail to recognize our individuality from a young age. And 
for me, that's one of the biggest things that I think that we could do better, you know, is is actually recognise our children's individualities much early on. But I don't think we can rely on the current education system to do that because they're only really designed to recognise and grade, you know, the standard subjects like English, math, science, all of those. But what if they're yeah. amazing at psychology or entrepreneurship or a myriad of other skills that don't get measured in our current system? You could then end up with the message like I did because, you know, I also didn't have parents at home that had the skills to recognise my strengths so you know I got the message I'm pretty mediocre because my grades are mediocre and then in reality I really excel at people and helping you know people unlock their potential so yeah it, it we need to change that we need to change our ability to recognize that individuality yeah absolutely no I love that and I think you know if we can think about it like that we're probably going to you know start from a pretty good place Mm -hmm. look being parent these days is sometimes referred to as a job and I must admit in the myriad of other things that lots of us are doing it can feel like that way as much as I love my children share how you developed this concept of parent as leader and then turned it into this this methodology it's something very tangible that you can then share with other people what was that sort of trajectory like Mm -hmm. You know, it comes from this thing that this statement that we hear often, you should just know how to be a good parent. And, you know, I really call, call I, oh, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on here, but I really call to that <laughs> concept because, you know, how do we know if we haven't had a model of a parent that, you know, that we want to be, you know, how do we know how to parent in that way, right? So when I was becoming a parent, with the way that I was reacting to certain things and using the phrases that I was with my children, uh, I was realising that I was repeating what my own parents were, the way my own parents would handle things. And we get conditioned really early on. And if we only ever operate from the way that we were conditioned, we'll never be the parent that we, we want to be, who we are. So when we see parenting as a leadership role, We see that we're juggling multiple hats. We're a co-parent, we're a driver, cook, admin, cheerleader, counsellor, you name it. And whilst we're doing all of that, whilst we're trying to bring out the best in our child, and it's just like a leader in an organisation. So I really wanted to normalise that and I wanted parents to know that just like parents, just like leaders in organisations that engage support to be the best that they can be, so can we as parents. Yeah, no, I think that that totally makes sense. And obviously you've had success with with actually implementing this as well. So how do you discover, I guess, for, for you, yourselves as individual parents, how is going to be the most effective way for you to kind of approach this, you know, discussion around parent as leader or your approach mm. um, in, this, in this modern era? Because we're all different, we're all wired differently, we're all motivated by different things. And, of course, as different as every child is, every parent is too. So I, it's hard to sort of, I guess, sometimes systemize things or do you have a different view? Yeah, look, it's evolved and uh, there's three key things that I think, you know, we can we can really do that is within our control because we don't know, you know, what's coming for our kids. We don't know what kind of jobs they're going to be in and all of that kind of stuff either. So we can't really prepare them for a world we don't know. But the three things we can do, I think the first thing is learning about ourselves and how we're motivated and the lens that we're bringing to our child's behaviour. And then, you know, learning about your child and the way that they see things and noticing where the gap 
is. So I use a tool for that, which I call the Parent as Leader Assessment. And to give you an example, for example, I am uh, ex- what, what I call externally referenced. This is one of the lenses or the motivations that we measure inside the assessment. And what that means is I hold authority outside of myself. So I like to pay attention to feedback what's going on for other people. I take advice from other people, all of those things. And, you know, really care about what others are thinking and feeling. Whereas my son is very internal. And so when he was young, internal means he's very focused on his own ideas on what's going on for him. And, you know, he's isn't that all children? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, not necessarily, right? But I've got one yeah. of each. And then I, so for example, when we invited like a family over to play, uh, this is when he was really young, like, you know, talking like two or three. So that toddler yeah, age, which I think is like peak selfish, if you're, you know, I think that's what I remember a child psychologist once saying that to me, like they just, the world does start to just revolve around them, really. It does, it does. But then they've got different nuances. And I think that's what we're looking for is what those nuances are. Because one of my sons who was external, he would really want to go and play with the other kids. Whereas my youngest son, he did not want to go and play with them. Now, me being externally referenced used to worry about, you know, what everybody else was thinking, what the family were thinking, why my kid wasn't playing with them in our house. And here he was just being himself playing with his train set and, you know, doing his own thing because he was really comfortable with that. So I think when we start to understand that our kids are showing us who they are in these little micro moments, not during the tantrums, there's obviously like those developmental things which you're referring to, which, yeah, absolutely, they go into their self-centered mode and they go into the, you know, that's, that's all part of their brain development to have those emotional tantrums and all of that. But when we get curious as to why our our child behaves in the unique ways that they do, we're then better equipped to nurture their authenticity. So that's the first thing. And then the second and third things are, the second is getting on the same page as your co-parent if you have one, aligning on your values. And the third one is, I've just mentioned it there, which is understanding what's developmentally appropriate for your child. So you don't personalize like the toddler tantrums or you know teens pulling away Uh, that really helps us to be better as parents Mm, I think that's great I'm definitely going to to implement that with my children we're going to change tack a little bit some of the questions I do ask all my guests of course I will put them to you as well Mm. what at the moment are you finding really handy in your business or your life really like a bit of a tool it can't be a smartphone because we all have those but (laughs) something that you're actively using that's kind of helping you either save time or money or sanity even (laughs) well I think I'll go I'll go the sanity route (laughs) I meditate most days and whilst it's not a physical tool it's certainly a mental tool and it reminds me that there's you know a space much bigger than we feel is available to us and it just gives me a way to disconnect from the constant thoughts that go through my mind all day and it allows me to just connect back to myself before I start giving to the world so that's one of my hacks for business for family for life in general Oh, that's great. I think you're the second or third person that's mentioned that. So there must be something in that for most of us. Your biggest life lesson to date and why was it really important to you? I guess what did you learn is what I'm really asking there. I love this question. I'm not sure if I could pick one, but if I had to, I think it would be 
The understanding that our mind makes up stories about ourselves, our children and others and the world, and having this awareness and finding the story that's getting in the way or driving the way that we're thinking, it liberates us to be and do anything, including be the parent we want to be. So, you know, for example, I for years I believed I was a bad person, that I hurt people. Because this was a story I told myself based on some of the reactions my parents had to my behavior growing up. So, you know, that kind of, it was an outdated story, but I was still running it in my mind. And it really stopped me Mm. from forming the relationships I wanted. It stopped me, you know, with my kids, I was people pleasing them because I felt so bad. I was a bad person. Um, so there's all these behaviors that occur from stories that we're telling ourselves so we so being able to have processes and ways to be able to catch our stories I think is one of the biggest things I've learned um, in my life today. How do you define your version of success and that could have shifted over time or could have been something that you've always held on to? It's definitely shifted I was telling my husband the other day on my 21st birthday I had a cake with a Mercedes 500 SL convertible on it. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) And that was my definition of success way back when I was 21. And it could not be further from what I want today. (laughs) It's uh, for me today, success looks like me liking and loving myself for who I am and making a contribution to the world in my own unique way. And if I look at that through the parenting lens, you know, my success there is raising my children to like and love who they are. And, you know, I'll do what I can as a parent to help them believe in themselves. Um, That would be successful to me. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Just a final message for us all today as we wrap up our conversation on the politics of childhood resilience. I would say slow down to speed up. You know, don't be afraid to allow your child exploration, creativity, play whilst they're younger, even with societal pressure to speed up on things and learn this quickly and learn that quickly. Because with your awareness and acceptance of them as their parents, they will learn about themselves and they'll build those foundation blocks for them to face the world as themselves with an unshakable resilience, which they'll have for life. I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dina. And if you do want to connect further with Dina and find out more about what she does, including her free quiz, which will be on our show notes, you can keep scrolling and you'll find it down there. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.